as the buckets are being passed, let's welcome Brian Finnamore. Uh, it's so good to be back with you guys. Well, grab your Bibles. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Corinthians chapter 4. It's actually getting very complicated to preach anymore, so. Verse 14 is where we're going to start. Why don't we pray before we go ahead? I know they're still finishing up, so why don't we pray real quick, and then we'll look at the word here. Please join me. Father, we just stand before you and we ask that as people were praying before the service, they want to hear from you. Um, come in the midst of us this evening. You really are our teacher, Lord. So we ask that your anointing would be rich and fresh upon us. Let us be people that listen to what you say to us. Uh, craft our heart. Don't let us just hear words. Craft our heart by the grace of God this evening. And as we leave here, let the radiance of your glory so touch us that we expect transformation when we leave. I thank you for all that you're going to accomplish this evening. We just want to honor you, Lord, this season in our lives and what you've done for us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14 is where we're going to be at. Obviously, the, uh, the pastors here, and I've been joining them, we've been going through 1 Corinthians, and we're kind of working through Paul's writing to him, and Paul keeps addressing certain themes. Uh, Paul is still working through the first part of his epistle. Obviously, it's a letter, so it's not broken up. He's just writing his thoughts of dealing with the Corinthian church, and he's working through leadership now. <clears throat> the part that I'm going to look at you is in verse 14 very specifically, and it says this. I'm reading out of the NASB. It might sound different in the version that you're reading. Uh, it says, I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as beloved children. For though, you though there are countless tutors in Christ, yet you don't have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have become your father through the gospel. Therefore, I exhort you, be imitators with me. Okay, now Paul is working through you know, how should we actually walk as Christians? We shouldn't worship individual leaders. Uh, we should understand the power of God and how God is going to glorify himself by being in the midst of us. But now he's actually coming to the Corinthians. He's working through a leadership dynamic with him in chapter 4. And when he comes to this part, he's now going to just take a brief moment and start talking about what forms Christianity in the midst of us. And he's now beginning to say, what, how do we actually define this when we look at the passage? How do we define maturity in the body of Christ? Now, a lot of people have a lot of ideas of how maturity happens. And there are two ways that maturity happens, and we're going to see it here in this example. There's maturity by principle-based, and that's really what our culture likes, is how do you walk out principles. But there's also maturity by understanding how God wants you to know him and relate to him. So I have to grow up in my relationship with the Lord. It's not just enough to say I need to connect with God. It's for me to understand how God is connecting with me and not only allowing that, but relating to him that way. And so Paul is beginning to make a statement here. He says this, though you have countless tutors in Christ, you don't have many fathers. For in the gospel, I have become a father to you. And then he says, now become an imitator of me. Now, when I, you guys find this fascinating, in the Gospels, Jesus actually comes to the, the disciples or the people that are listening to him, and he starts a conversation with him. He says, now look, you can't come to me unless the Father draws you, and no one knows the Father unless I make him known to them. What he's actually explaining there is not only how to come to salvation, but he's saying the growth of the Christian experience isn't just discovering salvation, it's coming to understand who is God and how does he want to be related to you. And he wants to be related to you as a father, not just God who's far off. In fact, 
this is the most amazing thing about Jesus and the gospel. A lot of people just look at the gospel and they say, well, it's about how to get saved. Are you guys ready? It is about how to come to salvation, but it's more than that. It's about coming back to a family that we've lost. God is into family. He wants to be known as a father. The most transforming experience you're going to have is when you step into that relationship that Jesus has with his father and it becomes a reality to you. It actually breaks down what I'd call all the structures of religion and the things of the spirit are easily stepped into when you know God as a father instead of a God that is far off. And this is, this is amazing. Once you start seeing that that's actually the message of the kingdom, that Jesus wants people to know God as a father, all of a sudden you realize that when you come to 1 John and it talks about different levels of maturity, it gives the highest level of maturity as knowing God as a father and becoming a father in response to that. Now, this is for, isn't this amazing? This is for both men and women. So we're, what we're actually having God actually say to us is maturity is understanding how God relates to his children as fathers and how we are to be an imitator of that in our life so that a, a level of wholeness and health will come to the people that you and I walk in relationship with. You know, my, my children grown now. Obviously, I'm their father. But when we talk about the Lord, we talk as brothers and sisters about a father in our family. We talk about him as being our ultimate father, even though I'm naturally their father. This is how God wants to be related to each other. In eternity, my children will obviously will know each other as that we were related to each other this way, but God will ultimately be their father. Now, let's define fatherhood just for a moment. What is this idea of fathering? Fathering is being talked about in this passage. And Paul now is coming to the Corinthians and saying, okay, so we've kind of worked through a lot of this stuff of not how to be idol worshipers as believers and what the power of God is supposed to do. And you stop worrying about if you're following this person or that person. What is the foundation of this? So fathering. There are two words that are used both in the Hebrew and the Greek New Testament for father. Two words for it. And what's interesting, or I'm sorry, not two words, but two definitions. And you need to understand both and how God relates to you out of both. The first one is this. The idea of God being a father is God is a bringing forth of life, or he's a creator. So one of the words of fathering is the idea of bringing forth something into life, which men do naturally as fathers. They bring something forth, bring life into something that produces children. So men on the earth know this, this one aspect. Okay? So it means to fashion or to form or to create something. And most people know God this way. He's a creator of all things. I wouldn't actually be on this planet, and neither would you, unless God decided that you were to be created and to be on this planet. You guys ever hear the statement that most people have to correct? Uh, no child is an accident. doesn't matter how people came together and brought forth that child in the natural, God the Father determined that child would come into history. So it means that God has determined your place on this time in human history, and he's fathering you because of it. And the good thing is, is not only is God a creator of it, it actually means all form of creativity comes from God being a father. So there, this means that as I know God as a father, that means that the wealth of creativity is based on the origin of who has created me. So are you guys ready? I'm not limited in creativity. I can go to every level of creativity based on the person who created me. What's my standard of creativity? God. Now, you probably didn't think, well, I don't see the passage being this, but this is the definition. He's a creator. Now, um, from my background, just to share this with you, uh, I'm trained as a minister, but I'm also trained. I have a degree in graphic art and design. I've worked in advertising agencies and stuff like that. I, once I found the Lord Jesus Christ, I was amazed that I could actually go to God and say, I don't know how to do the design here. I don't know how to design this advertisement or do this sculpture or whatever it was. And God would actually give me his creativity. In fact, I actually believe there's a bank in heaven that if you relate to the Spirit, you'll go beyond your natural ability and draw from him and do things that you couldn't do in your own ability. So, uh, I think I've shared this with you guys. Uh, there have been times in worship, as I've been just before the Lord enjoying the body of Christ singing, I hear music 
and lyrics, and I actually have written like four or five songs. I'm not a musician, but yet I've written them because I hear the bank of it in heaven. That's available to you and I. That's one of the ways that God is a father to us. But I don't think that's what Paul's talking about here in this passage. I wanted to make sure you had the definition. The second definition for father means, and this is actually very powerful, it means that God intentionally is a nurturer. Now, as I started looking at this idea, and this is what Paul is actually addressing, when I started looking at this idea that God the Father nurtures his children, I started realizing there's a big problem that's going on in the culture, culturally, with men. And if you're here as a guy tonight, this is not me setting you up to beat you up. It's just a reality of how our culture is decided. We've decided that we will bring forth children, and then we'll leave it up to women to nurture them. That's how our culture thinks. And it's, it actually seeps into Christianity. And what's happened is we've had generation after generation of what I'd call frozen men. Because they don't know how to nurture. They have no one imitating how to nurture. So they just watch television. They go, well, to be a man, I'm going to be like Spock. I'm going to just, everything's logical. I'm going to be detached. I'm never going to share emotion. And with these things that we call weakness and all those other things... That's not who God is. That's not how God is as a father. And so when most of us come into the kingdom and Jesus says, hey, you know what my greatest desire is, is to introduce you to a father. Most of us think, well, if he's like my earthly dad, I don't want to have anything to do with him because my earthly father's detached. Now, if you didn't have a father like that, you're blessed. But most of, the, most of the culture, if you hang out with the world in the body of Christ, most of the culture doesn't have this example as a father. So... Isn't it amazing? We've said, well, it's the, it's the woman's job to nurture. And women just do this because, obviously, they're made in the image of God. And they connect with that reality of God. But that originates from God the Father. He's a nurturer. Now, what's fascinating about that is that is what Paul is picking up on. He's now addressing the Corinthians. And he's saying, well, if we're going to actually start growing up, we need to have a mindset of what maturity is, and we need to say, who, who can we imitate? I'm going to model my life, and I'm imitating it off something, and I want you to imitate me on how I do it. And he's saying, I'm getting this because of what God has made known to me through revelation, and by Jesus' life, he's modeled, this is what God the Father is like with his children. And so once it encountered me, and hopefully this encounters you, once it started encountering me and I saw it, I started realizing, oh my gosh, my examples have been to be a theologian or to be a good teacher or to be a good prophesier instead of making the highest value of my Christian experience is to be a good model of a nurturing father. And the scripture actually points to that. It says, fathers... Be like the Father in heaven. Minister out of that reality. It tells us this in 1 John. That's the level of maturity. Learn what it means to nurture. Now, if you have natural children, you realize one of the main things you learn about nurturing is seeing your child not where they're at now, but where they can go to and begin to speak and care for them in such a way they get there. That is how God the Father looks at you. He doesn't look at where you're at now, and most of us relate to him this way. You're relating to me, I'm a mess, are you ever going to love me? And God's saying, no, I'm relating to who you're going to be, and I'm intentionally loving you to get you there. So it, God's intention, Paul's saying, now once you catch that, that form of my goal is to come in the midst of people and nurture them. All of a sudden, your, your view of what Christianity is about is different. You stop looking at, and remember when Paul was talking about, I come to you in weakness? The reason why he was sharing that is weakness is not something to be ashamed of once you realize God is a father because he nurtures out of weakness. That's why we need to be honest about it. I have to be honest because I'm being related to a father who intimately knows me, loves me, and is determined to mature me to the place where I'm just like his son, in a loving way. And guys, think about this. Because of this cultural thing of how fathers are to be creators but not nurturers, that's where the, what we would call the, the subtlety of what we call cold, legalistic religion is introduced into Christianity. 
God is not cold and distant. He's passionately loving. Passionately loving towards you. He's for you. He's not against you. He's after something for you. He wants to so excite you on how much he loves you that it just propels you into this dynamic love relationship that he actually has going on towards you and I that most of us are oblivious to. We think Jesus is after us because he wants us to do Bible studies or he wants us to go to prayer meetings or to study all the time. Do you guys realize all those things are doorways to discover a nurturing father who wants to reveal himself to us? So, you guys... When we come to this passage, I'm going to give you a couple examples. When Jesus starts this idea, and Paul picks it up here in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, about, look, I am a father through the gospel to you. Imitate me. Where is he getting this, or what's the picture that he gives? And this is what I want to talk to you about. This is Jesus. I'm only only going to give you many. I have like nine or ten of them, but I'd wear you out with this. I'm only going to give you a couple tonight. So Paul is looking to something in God. What has God made known to him? I actually think it comes out of the life of Jesus. So if you guys have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to model this to you. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Now, you guys, aren't you glad that in the Scripture it doesn't say, now be an imitator, but I'm going to give you no examples. No, the Bible is kind enough to give us stories and show the heart of how God related to things so that we can actually model our lives. By the way... Just so we understand this, culturally, our culture believes we change our character by talking at each other. That's not a biblical, Hebraic worldview at all. The way that biblical people believe you change is you model yourself after maturity. You watch a mature person, relate to people, and then you model what they do. I learned pastoral ministry not by going to Bible college and studying pastoral ministry. I got around really good pastors, and they modeled how to do it. And when they said things a certain way, I almost did it the exact same way. There's some of that that's actually very healthy for you and I to model in our lives. That's why we have to be imitators, not just observers. So in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, look at this passage. This is Jesus. Now, now think about Jesus' ministry. Everybody's like, well, look at him. He's showing himself as the Son of God. No, I believe that almost every story about Jesus is him saying, okay, now this is how God the Father responds in these situations. I'm modeling this to you. Uh, As you turn there, let me give you a scripture to verify that. In John 14, verse 9, Jesus is actually having the disciples ask him a question, and it's Philip. He's saying, okay, we've walked here. We've watched you do all this. Show us the Father. And in John chapter 14, verse 9, Jesus says, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been with you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you ask me to show you the Father? Don't you believe I'm in the Father and the Father is in me and the work that I'm doing right now is Him? So he's saying, here's a perfect representation of what God is like. When I go do all that I'm doing, I'm not trying to prove I'm Messiah. I'm trying to prove God is a Father and this is how a Father responds in this situation. This is how God the Father responds in this situation. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogue and preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowd, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. There are several ways we could go with this, but the focus of the passage is the word compassion. He had compassion on them. That word is fascinating. In the original language... It's it's actually the word they use for the idea of a cup that gets filled with something. Now, have you guys ever thought of yourself as a container that carries the heart of God everywhere you go? Jesus is saying he walks into a situation and he's observing people, and as he's observing them, they're being it's like they're being beaten, and it this thing it says compassion motivates him. Now, a lot of people think that's an inward thing that you and I possess. Oh, I have compassion. Now, this is important. This Greek word for compassion is not the word for sympathy, which means originates from you. It actually means you don't have this ability, and neither did Jesus. Isn't that fascinating? He actually had to have the Father break his heart to see people being harassed, and then in response to it, God filled him with compassion. And this word in the original language is fascinating because it means... Not only sympathy that originates from the heart of God, it means the ability to overcome how people are being harassed. 
So God doesn't just look at your suffering and go, well, that's too bad. I've created you to suffer, so just learn to endure it. It actually means it breaks God's heart to see you in the situation you're in. And he's trying to find someone that will connect with his heart so he can break their heart so that he can fill them with his ability to relieve you of the suffering you're going through. Isn't that beautiful? Now think about that. You and I come to meetings. Is God ever going to show up here today? God is trying to find one of us to go, God, show up. Break me. Are you guys like I am? Hopefully you're not. I see all the evil on the planet, and I'm always going, God, would you just judge this? You know, one time the Lord actually had a conversation with me about that. I was asking him, why don't you judge us? And, and he started this conversation. He said, you know, Moses actually asked me to do that. And I responded to him, I didn't bring him out here to do this. I brought him out here to show him my mercy. So you guys ready? There is a judgment. God can either judge a nation, and that's a terrible thing, or God can make a judgment and bring revival to a nation. Where's your heart in that? Where's my heart in that? And guys, I've been caught many times. I watch people, and I watch some of the things that people get involved in, or I watch some of the things that I get involved in, and don't you guys get to the point where you think, well, you know, people deserve this. But they don't deserve this. God loves revealing or relieving the suffering that people are going through. He loves doing this. I was, uh, I'm actually in the process of right now, I've had several people encourage me to start writing on all the things I've seen the Lord do over the last 25 years of being in ministry. So I'm trying to just remember all the things that God has done. And you guys, I, I'm, I'm falling in love even at a deeper level of how merciful and kind God is in our lives. Um, I have seen him, and just like you guys, I've seen him do so many things. He's shocked me so many ways. And you guys ready? I just get, are you guys like this? I just get caught in what he did with his hand, and, and I always miss his heart in the middle of it. Like, ooh, he did a cool miracle, but I keep forgetting he did the cool miracle because it reflects his heart as a father. That's why he did the cool miracle. He loves doing cool miracles, not to prove anything, but to show you this is what I'm like. I love you deeply. I want to nurture you past this. Let's look at another one. John chapter 12, verse uh, 1 through 8. This is actually called the embrace of God. Have you guys ever heard that term, the embrace of God? Uh, most, most of us don't actually see this in Scripture. It, I actually had to have a conversation with the Lord about this passage specifically. Back in 1987, I was living in Cara Springs. And a really famous minister at that time in, in church history fell into sexual sin. And if you guys know anything about the media, uh, this is just the way they are. It's not, it's not being negative. It's just the way they are. They never report on good things that Christians are doing. They wait until we make a mistake, and then they report on that. So the media picked up on this person and started just everywhere. It's in the newspapers and in magazines. They're reporting it on it. Look at what this guy did. And, and the idea was you can't trust Christians because they're just taking your money and then they're doing this kind of stuff. And, and you know, I'm actually in Bible college and our professors are talking about this. And they're beginning to have a conversation with us about, wow, if these kind of people who run these ministries and have millions of dollars go through them, they can't do it. How are we going to do it? And they're posing. They're not answering the question. They're posing it to us. And, you know, when you first meet the Lord, you're like, I don't know. I'm such a mess, I can't believe Jesus actually saved me. I don't know how to keep from being a mess. So I'm reading this scripture one day, and I'm praying about it. And the Lord is having a conversation with me. And it's, look, you guys know the story in John chapter 12. Uh, it's Jesus, and he's, at, he's just raised Lazarus from the dead, and Martha is um, poured perfume on his feet and wiped her hair, and Judas is mad about this. <laughs> I'm reading this one day. And I realized the three main characters is just Jesus, Martha, and Judas. Judas is what? At this point, he hadn't betrayed Jesus. He's an apostle in training. He's raising people from the... I mean, I wish I could do some of the stuff he did. I'm still not there. So he's doing all this. And I don't know if you guys have ever caught this, 
But Judas was actually given a higher honor than the other 11 because he was made to be the keeper of the money bag. That's not some small thing. That's not what you just give someone to do because you think less of them. You do it because you have a high honor to them. So Jesus had really exalted Judas Iscariot at this point in his ministry. And she's pouring perfume on Jesus' feet, and he's mad at it because he's a thief, and he wants the money. Now, have you guys ever worked through that? How can a person who has had God reveal himself to them, steal from the Lord, use everything that God gives them for their own benefit, and end up betraying the Lord? And I'm really... That's what was going on in the culture. The Lord posed that to me. I'm reading this passage. The Lord's bringing it up to me again. And he starts this conversation with me about my own heart, which if you guys ever had these conversations with Jesus, they're not fun. So the Lord started asking me, well, what are you doing? You're in Bible college. Why are you doing it? And I said, well, I think it's because I love you. And I thought that answered it. And the Lord said, no, really, Brian, why are you doing this? Now, when the Lord asks you the same question more than once, it really starts making you realize a light's being shined on you, and your simple answer isn't working, and Jesus is going deeper. So he asked me again, really, why are you doing what you're doing this? And I said, well, it's because I love you. And the Lord said, no, it's not. I thought, okay, I don't know if this is the Lord anymore. I don't want to have this conversation. Then the Lord asked me again, why are you doing this? Why are you doing what you're doing right now? And I said, well, Lord, I thought it was because you called me into ministry, and I'm going down this path. And he And he filled me. Now, isn't this amazing? He filled me with peace. His love started nurturing my heart. And then he told me the truth about my own heart. He said, Brian, six months ago, I came to you and I said, don't go this direction. Go this direction. You looked at it and thought that was a bad idea. And you told me no. And you fixed your heart to go this direction. And he said, now, you've been asking me. You've been praying. How could Judas do that? How could this minister do that? He said, it's really not that hard. It's when you take the benefits of my kingdom and ignore me and yet still draw from my grace and produce things with it and assume that means you're in a healthy relationship because you can produce the fruit of the kingdom. There's a difference. Do you guys realize? The authority of knowing Jesus doesn't mean you need to be intimate with Jesus at all. The authority works in his name. So that's why people that don't even know the Lord can drive out demons with his name. And when he told me that, it's like a surgeon just cut open my heart. And I said, how did I get to this place? And he says, this is something that a lot of believers have to deal with. Are you more in love with the benefits that come from my hand, or are you just in love with me? Now, he's never going to take those benefits away from you and I, but those things can grab our attention. You guys ready? I'm in ministry. Right? Been doing this for more than 20 years. There's this fantasy that goes on in ministry sometimes, especially at the level where I'm at in the sense that I travel all the time. The itinerant people I hang around, it's about crowds and numbers and how big the ministry is. And you guys realize that's all the hand of the Lord. None of that has anything to do with relationship. And sometimes ministers, myself, I've even seen myself, I minister out of that instead of ministering out of, I just love Jesus and it's fun to be with Jesus. The way the Lord actually dealt with this is he reminded me. He said, do you remember when you first came to me and there was this life about just being with me? You couldn't wait to be with me? It was enough for you and I just to engage each other? He said, you've lost that. You've lost it for all the things that my kingdom can produce. Are you willing to just let all that go and just walk with me again? And I thought, yes. And he says, that's the issue. That's where I love you the deepest when it's about relationship, not what I can do for you. And you expecting that, which God gives you all that freely anyways. It's about how deep is your love pursuit of him. And you guys ready? As a father, he's very jealous for that relationship. My children, it's amazing. I, I love, love my children, and my children do this really interesting thing with me. I can buy them a bunch of junk, but they usually just take the junk and throw it in the corner of the room. But what they want is relationship. And they're always talking to me about how, and, and most kids don't want to hang around. My, my parents ask me for time. I need time with you. I need time with you. Well, where is that coming from? That's coming from the reality that when God talked to me about this is when my kids were little, and I in, 
ready, intentionally nurtured my kids. Well, once you get start getting nurtured by love, you don't ever want to unplug from it. You need it as a lifestyle. I need it as a lifestyle. This is what Jesus is modeling. This is what Paul is actually picking up. He's saying, guys, it's not enough to say the name of Jesus and not have the Father nurturing you. You need to open up to the nurture of God because he wants to give it to you. This is what is going to make you whole. God is so into you being whole by his Father's embrace. Now, what is the embrace of God? It happens every time you and I are in the presence of the Lord. How many of you have worshipped the Lord and felt the peace of God or the presence of the Lord resting on you? Most of us go, well, isn't that nice? I felt the presence of the Lord. Do you know what the Bible actually calls that? God actually came and hugged you. And since most people don't see it, they're just, wow, this is great. I wonder what else Jesus is going to do. No, he's actually saying, stop for a minute. Don't blow that off. You know, um, you'll, I don't know if you'll find this funny. When I hug my wife, if I pull away too soon, she actually grabs my arms and makes me hold on to her until she's done with the hug. I loved how all the women in the room responded, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> now, why is there that response? Because there's something that comes from an embrace that you can't get any other way. You guys ready? Now think about this. When I tried to hug my kids, I didn't care how long I did it because I was keeping them from playing, so they're trying to get away from me. Does that make sense? So as a child, you don't want to be hugged because you have adventure. When you grow up, you want to be hugged because you realize something happens to you. You guys ready? When I worship and I feel the presence of the Lord, I stop talking, singing, or anything. I just let God love me and hug me. And I stop talking at him. I start speaking words of, God, I love you. And I, and I just let this embrace go on. You guys ready? As long as God is nurturing me embrace, I should just let it settle and I should enjoy it instead of trying to get out of it as fast as I can, get the anointing to do ministry, or run off to whatever else I think I should be doing. There is something very important. With God nurturing you, let him do it. Let's keep moving on. You guys with me? Yeah. Turn with me to Matthew 23, verse 37. Let's look at another example here. Matthew 23, verse 37. I told you there's like 15 or 20 different ways God, Jesus models God being a father. Very important to understand this. I'm just giving you a few this evening. Matthew 23, verse 37. You know, <clears throat> you can almost miss this if you don't catch the idea that Jesus says it's his job to reveal his Father to you. Get that. Once I meet Jesus, what is his ministry to you and I? To introduce his Father to us. What is the Father like? What is he actually like? Now, he's modeling it. Remember, everything Jesus did was to model the Father. Here in this passage... He's now getting ready to go to the cross, and he's having a discussion with the nation. This is his people, and listen to his heart here. It says this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together. As a hen gathers her chicks under their wings, but you're not willing. Now, what is this? This is called the brokenness of the father's heart for his children. I, when I heard this for the first time, I didn't even know how to respond to it. Have you guys ever thought about the fact that when you're not receiving what God is trying to give you and what he's trying to do to nurture you, you actually break his heart? I, don't you guys ever think this way? No, that's not true. God's an absolute being. He, he doesn't have any of these issues. And yet Jesus is modeling it right here. God is willing to gather you. This is the closest you can be. It's the idea of gathering you to someone's heart and you're pushing it away. And the response is, God doesn't just look at that and go, well, some other day. He actually grieves him. Do you guys get that? When we talk about grieving the Holy Spirit, this is the idea. God has something beautiful, wonderful, and he wants intimacy with us. But we don't think that's important, so we push him away. And it actually breaks his heart, grieves him. Just like, now you guys can understand this. If you have a nurturing father, nurturing fathers feel this way. I don't get in relationship with my kids so I can just accomplish something. I get in relationship because I want to connect and I want to share with them and I want them to see this as important because it is. This is the way God is in our relationship. 
God, think about this. God doesn't bring us into a room. Can you imagine God in heaven going, okay, how many people showed up tonight? And the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are going, okay, well, there's about 120. All right, let's mark that off. Those guys get a reward when they come into eternity. Uh, really? <laughs> guys, why do I come into a building with you guys and do this? Uh, at this point, I'm sure a lot of ministers can say this. At this point, it isn't to prove to you that I can preach. I've been doing this long enough. So why do I come into this building with you? And why do you guys show up? You're expecting to be loved on so powerfully it changes you. I'm expecting to come into a room with you and have our Father come and sit in the midst of us and go, now, come here, I want to love on you. Come here, I know what you've been going through. Come here, I want to embrace you. In fact, this should be a sanctuary where anybody who doesn't know the Father or who knows the Father should have the Father come in the midst of them and nurture them where they're satisfied in Him. See, culturally, we make it about numbers and about things. God could care less about that. He could care about you experiencing his love for you. And it shows it right here in Matthew 23, 37. He's broken when people don't receive this. Last one, and then we'll wrap up. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. Now, this is Paul, again, talking. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever thought about this, but sometimes the body of Christ starts saying, all right, well, in Ephesians chapter 4, we have all these ministries, and their goal is to equip the saints. So we have apostles, we have prophets, we have evangelists, we have pastors, we have teachers. And a lot of stuff is taught on that. I actually believe that, again, maturity in all forms of ministry, but especially apostolic, isn't planting churches and starting ministries. It's modeling fathering, even to people that are ministers. And so apostles have to emulate fathering. That's what Paul is saying about his apostolic ministry. Look, I'm fathering you. He uses that term as an apostle. I'm fathering you. Now, how do we look at apostolic ministry? We base it on authority. How many signs and wonders can they do, and how many people can they put in a building? Paul is saying, no, that's not the standard here. Don't look at that. That's not a standard. Every Christian can raise people from the dead. Every Christian can heal the sick. Authority is not the standard. It's fathering. How well are you fathered, nurtured? And, and he comes to this, and he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, he says, we were gentle among you. Isn't that interesting? So as an apostle, what was he to reflect? And this is for all of us. I'm not talking about apostolic ministry, but he's trying to say, imitate this of me. How are we to be with each other when we're in the midst of each other? The grace of God is fascinating, isn't it? Because it can reach you, call you to become his own, but you also live out of it. One of the ways that I think actually is the bridge to everything that God wants to do is gentleness. Gentleness. I don't know if you guys have heard me tell the story. I'll just kind of gently present this to you. When I first used to try to lead people to the Lord, I'd give them an ultimatum. Either you come to Jesus tonight, or if you get in a car accident on the way home, and you don't accept him, you are going to be in hell tonight burning like a french fry. I'm glad you guys laugh at that. Now, could you imagine hearing, being on the receiving end of that? Is that, are you guys ready? Is that all theologically true? Yes, I just told them the truth. But their response, and people say, well, you told them the truth, but they're in rebellion. Hey, you know, people that don't know the Lord, being in rebellion is natural to them. But what's the bridge? I could actually still tell them the truth, but depending on how I act, and communicate with people. It'll either put up a wall or it'll open up the heart. Now look at Jesus' ministry. Jesus is telling people incredibly hard truth, but he's modeling it with kindness. Kindness is the bridge to open the heart to receive the love of God. If I don't model kindness to somebody, I, you got, look what a contradiction this is. Hey, do you know God loved you? Do you see the contradiction? God actually loves you, but I'm coming to you in a harsh way. 
That's confusing to people. I'm going to finish with this story. Last year, um, we were up in um, Smoky Hill doing some meetings on healing. And um, the group that hangs out with me, you know, we kind of go to Chipotle after meetings. That's a whole other story. Let's not get into that. But we go to Chipotle. And um, I had gone through first, and I asked the team, do you guys mind if I buy your meal for you? And they're like, yeah, that's fine. So I'm the first one I go through. I order my meal. And they're, they're trying out a new menu item, which they hardly ever do at Chipotle. But they're, and they're feeding it to different team members. So now I'm stuck waiting for everybody to stop sampling stuff so I could pay for everybody's food and we can leave, right? This is a very intense situation. <laughs> While I'm standing there, the girl that's waiting on me behind the couch, she's like this 17-year-old girl, and I'm looking at her. And um, that night, particularly, it was really fun because the Lord in his kindness showed up and healed a bunch of people. I was just very grateful. And I don't know if you guys ever think like this, but sometimes I do, I do stuff and I think, well, that's enough for this evening. I'm tired. I just want to get my Chipotle and eat my guacamole, and that's enough for Jesus tonight. And so I was kind of in that mood. And I'm looking at the lady behind, the girl behind the counter, and as I'm looking at her, I, I said this really, I don't, I don't know why I even do this. I think it's by nature now. I just said, yeah, I wonder if the Lord has anything for this girl. You know, thinking he doesn't. I'm just thinking that in my head. Oh, I don't think he has that. I, I literally said, Lord, do you have anything for this girl? And I was, I was waiting for nothing to come, so I'd go, oh, good. Nothing came. But see, God's love is never exhausted. It's never exhausted. I'm exhausted. It's never exhausted. So I said, do you have anything for this girl? And the love of God filled my heart. And I knew what that was. That wasn't Jesus saying, oh, you're just such a nice Christian. I knew, oh, no, he's about to give me it because he always gives love before he tells you to do anything. He gives me his love for her. And you guys ready? I not only feel the love of God, I feel this incredible nurturing like she hasn't been nurtured in this love. And I'm looking at her, and the Lord says, she... she plays several instruments, and she writes music, but she feels very lonely, and I want you to tell her about her gifts. Okay? Now, when Jesus does this, I don't know if you guys ever do this, he never tells you how to do it. He just says, say this. And you're like, well, how? I mean, do I point? Do I lift an eyebrow? I mean, what am I supposed to be doing here? And so I'm trying to figure out, okay, now how do I do this? And, and this is just me having the fear of man on me. I'm trying to figure out how to be smooth. Now, how do I do this in a smooth way? And after I'd gone over in my head how to do it smoothly, I realized I, I'm not smooth, so I need to just give that up. So I finally just said, I don't know what to say. I just said, hey, <laughs> do, you, do you write music? And she looked at me and she said, well, how in the, yes, how in the world do you know that? And I said, well, you know, the God that loves you just shared that with me. And she's like, what? I said, do you ever sometimes sit up in your bedroom at night and start writing lyrics to music? And she's like, how? yes, how in the world do you know that? And I said, well, the God, you know, I'm just saying it matter-of-factly. The God who loves you just shared that with me. And she's just looking at me. Now, as I'm sharing this with her, I had never, I had done this, I don't know how many times, I've never seen what I saw that night. She's standing there, and when I she said, do you like writing music and stuff like that, when I said, the God who loves you just shared that with me? The power, I, how do you describe this stuff? The power of the Holy Spirit starts literally circling around her where she can actually feel it. Seriously. She actually stops. And she says, how did you know that? And then she goes, what is that? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just like, wow. The Lord really did a powerful thing. And I said, well, do you ever sit up in your bedroom? And I'm sharing that with her. And she goes, yeah, how in the world do you know that? And the, and the Lord did it again. And she goes, what is that? And she's doing that. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like fun to go to a restaurant? So, she, I, I, and I'm realizing, oh, she's never, obviously she's never felt that. And I'm not, not going to start this thing with, well, that's the Holy Spirit and you can't see him. But yeah, you can feel him. I just thought, forget that. I'm just looking at her and I said, well, I feel like the Lord wants me to tell you that in the future, that gift was given to you by God, and he's a father, and he gave that to you to bless you and to bless people around you. And all of a sudden, as I said that, this 
fountain of love just filled me. All of a sudden, all this love is just gushing out of me. And I'm like, you know what's going to happen? I get real excited. You know what's going to happen? The Lord is going to take you. You're going to have this whole entire thing where you're going to write music. And when you play it, this healing thing is going to rest on people. And they're going to get restored. I'm getting really excited about it. I'm just watching her. And she's like, I have no context for anything you're saying to me. But she does it again. What is that? (laughs) So I said to her, does that make any sense to you? She goes, no. (laughs) I love people's responses. So I said, oh, okay, well, thanks. I just paid for the meal. And John was there with me. I walked over to John and I said, did you just see all that? And we're talking about it. And his wife, Lee, comes up to me and she says, hey, Brian, I don't think you're done. I said, what do you mean? She says, well, I think she's supposed to be coming to the Lord tonight. She goes, you need to get back over there and lead her to the Lord. And she was right. But I thought, why do I have to do everything? I said, you, you go back over there. And so Lee just did. She walked over there. And I've shared this before. Have you ever, guys ever studied how women do evangelism compared to guys? You ought to study it sometimes, especially where you can't hear the conversation. It's really fun because guys usually walk up to people like this, and then they point, and they start having conversations with them, and the other person's like, and they're just going back. And If you ever watch it, it's kind of fun. Women walk up to each other. They're, they're patting each other. They're weeping, and then they end up hugging each other. Well, that's what happened. Well, John and I are watching Lee, and Lee's up there, and they're talking, and they're both smiling, and then she starts crying, and Lee is helping her, and then she's hugging her, and then they're writing notes to each other, and then Lee comes back, and I said, what, what happened? She said, well, I walked up to her and said, when he asked you, did you understand what he said to you, uh, you said no. Why did you say that? And she said, well, I didn't want to say no. I want... <laughs> she said, I wanted to know who this was that was encountering me, but all that came out of my mouth was no. Isn't that interesting? So Lee built a bridge. Out of kindness, Lee said, well, that was Jesus. And he was saying, do you want to come home and experience that the rest of your life? And she said, yes, I actually want to experience that the rest of my life. And she said, well, just pray with me real quick. And so she just utters off this prayer, and the Lord's love just filled her right there, and she came to the Lord. Yeah, isn't that great? Now, think about this with me. What did she, how did, now we say come to the Lord and all that, but what did she step into? She felt the Father's nurture, and there was such a longing for that, that when she came to salvation, her salvation hopefully is going to be built on the idea that God brought her to him because she's his daughter, and his goal is to nurture her the rest of her life. Because that's why Jesus called you to come to him. He wasn't just trying to get you into heaven. He was was making an eternal statement to you. I am going to nurture you and love you forever. It's never going to be taken away from you. It's never going to be diminished. I'm going to prove myself to you as a father. And this is what Paul picks up in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's pray. Your word, Lord, your word, let it come. Let your word come. Anywhere inside of us, Lord, anywhere inside of us where our culture is defined fathering, but it's not been defined by you, would you allow the power of your presence to come and tear down those ridiculous walls that have blocked us from receiving your love. Just tear it down, Lord. And Lord, would you teach us to be people that receive your embrace? All the things that we grow towards, let us grow towards receiving your embrace. And I just want to bless you, Lord, and I want to thank you for your goodness. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. All right, this lady, you're almost in the very back. Uh, You have your hand over your face like this. Could you stand for a moment? What's your name? Kathy. All right. Would you mind putting your hands out, Kathy? Actually, during worship, I looked back there, and I actually saw the Lord move towards you. I felt like he wanted me to 
share this with you. So, Holy Spirit, bring your power over your daughter. Yeah, isn't that great? That's just the Lord loving on you. He wanted me to tell you that not only are you faithful in his house as a person who prays, he not only hears your prayers, he's moving on behalf of your prayers, and he's going to use you very specifically as a daughter that loves people well. There, there, this whole thing about nurturing is very important to you because God has called you to be that way. You're going to be used very specifically in your family as a person that releases that over people as you pray for them. God is going to cause that to come forth over your life. And there's just a cleansing that's coming over your heart and your mind right now from the Father specifically. You're going to enter into another dimension of your destiny that the Lord wants you to, and it's called the fullness of his voice in your life. You're going to hear from him while you're awake. You're going to hear from him while you're asleep. Things that you've been longing for, he's been longing to give you, and he's going to release it over your life. So, Father, I thank you for your daughter. I ask that you would bless her right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. Okay, so this one, I was trying to figure out how to do this. Is there a Daniel here or someone who has a son named Daniel? Daniel. Or a son. Do you have a son named Daniel? Yes? I'm sorry? Oh, you're Daniel. Would you stand, please? Okay, here we go. Um, The Lord told me to tell you that you're coming into what's called the fullness of life. Jesus is actually ordained for that to actually take place in your life. You're already exhibiting that in your life. But he actually wanted me to tell you that the strength of the Lord is actually going to overshadow you. And a new season is actually going to be coming in your life. And it has to do with how you, you, uh, I guess it has to deal with the theme tonight. It has to do with how you nurture people. And there's going to be this thing that's going to be happening in your life that people are going to come to you that are broken and you're going to begin to work in words of wisdom to give them words in due season to actually set them free. In fact, this is even going to happen to you at work and it's going to actually surprise you and catch you off guard all the good things that the Lord has intended for you. But he wanted me to tell you specifically, you are not in a season of weakness. You're in a season of the strength of the Lord being upon you. So could you extend your hand? Unless that's the Lord to bless you. Come and bless Daniel right now. Release your power over him. This thing about him being a student, a person that thinks deeply about things, and this release of just growing in that depth, I just command that to come forth right now. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you, Daniel. All right, if you're dealing with uh, lung problems, breathing problems, uh, So he was showing me two issues. One is a breathing problem like asthma, or you have actually some weakness in your lungs. Would you stand? The Lord wants to minister to you. Breathing problems or weakness in your lungs. Now, please remember, we just talked about this as God is willing to do this. Just extend your hands and relax. We're going to pray that the Lord will do this for you, okay? So Holy Spirit, bring your power over your children. Release your healing virtue over their lungs right now. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, remove this weakness. I break the power of this infirmity. I command it to lift off right now in the name of the Lord. Breathe life into him. Now let's just wait a moment. Breathe life. Any barrier that's keeping this from coming forth... We, as the body, come together and say, I command that to stop in the name of Jesus. Refresh them. Breathe into them again. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, A couple more. Is someone here dealing with, okay, so here is your glands. And under that, you have a thyroid issue. So is someone dealing with thyroid problems or swollen glands? It could be two of them be a thyroid problem or swollen glands. If you have swollen glands or a thyroid issue, would you stand? The Lord wants to minister to you. I'm sorry you guys are having to deal with that. Please put your hands out. Holy Spirit, bring your power. Just bring your presence. You're the restorer. Come and bring your hands over their their glands right now. Command the pain to stop and ask that you'd restore their thyroid glands right now. 
in the name of Jesus. No weapon formed against them shall prosper. I bless your name, O Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Okay, let's do this one. Uh, I thought this was kind of funny. Is there a woman here that was... (laughs) A woman here that was born in Houston, Texas, and has moved up here. Is there a woman that was born in... That's you? What's your name? Shelly, would you stand, please? But you're wondering, what is he going to say? Um, have you had a sense like you've kind of just been wandering around for a while and just what Jesus said? Well, he told me that uh, you've had a sense of your destiny not just being sharp and crisp. Does that make sense to you? Okay, would you extend your hand? Because the Lord actually wants to come and, and refresh that. So Holy Spirit, release your power over your daughter right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you're actually in a, uh, a retooling season by the Lord specifically. The things that you have been facing is not the Lord abandoning you. He's teaching you a new level of authority that you have. And so he wants you to realize that financially, you're not being stripped of something. God is going to add to you, but as, as your authority grows, the Lord is going to release that to you. And so, Lord, I, I ask that favor would come to your daughter right now, that you would bless her and strengthen her, that you'd cause her destiny to awaken right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And statements that people have said, communities that she's been in that have shut this down, I break the power of that and I command it to come forth right now in the name of Jesus. And we just bless your name, Lord. Amen. Thank you. All right. um, Is there a woman here named Sheila and you actually have hand problems, issues with your hand specifically. Is there a woman here named Sheila, and you're dealing with hand problems? Am I missing anybody, or is no one standing? No one's standing. All right, so I'm going to pray for this, because what ends up happening, sometimes I miss it. I'm fine with that. Actually, I should say I usually miss it. But I'm going to assume someone's listening to this, I'm going to pray for it. This arthritic condition, I break the power of it right now. And I ask, Lord, you'd restore Sheila's hands to wholeness in the name of Jesus. And I bless what you're doing in her life, Lord. Now, cause healing to happen right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, especially when it comes to writing. Set her free from this. In the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. One last one. You ready? One last one. Okay, so... I'm in worship, just waiting on the Lord, sensing his love and his embrace. And I actually see, it's kind of funny, uh, I get this symbolic picture of the front of the sanctuary with water up to this level. And when people come to the church, that's what they're stepping in. And then I saw the, the Lord open the doors back there and, uh, and water just started coming down the middle of the aisle. And all of a sudden, you went from the water being this deep to where it was this deep. And what the Lord told me about that, wow, you guys are excited. I haven't even told you. You're pretty excited about that. All right. What the Lord actually showed me was there's an increase of grace in your midst that Jesus is wanting you to be aware of. So this is for you guys. Okay. Pray about this. Think about it. Jesus is wanting you to create a culture of hope and expectation in this next season. A culture of hope. That means for you specifically, and if you test and weigh that and you feel it's the Lord, that means that Jesus is saying the, the level of grace that's now being released to you, you can't function in what you're doing before. He's wanting you to function up at another level. And this level, for it to be at that level, it's about cultivating hope and cultivating expectation. Okay? So would you guys just join me and let's just put, present our hearts before the Lord. Let's see if he engages us with this. Okay? Well, first, Lord, if you want to increase the river of grace, let it come. Just let it come. Let it go from being literally at our our knees all the way up to our waist. Just bring it forth in the name of Jesus. And Lord, break us free from the culture of Colorado, which constantly swims in hopelessness. Break us free from that right now. And release hope and expectation back to us create a culture of this in the midst of us and for people here that just kind of assume it's okay to be hopeless I break the power of that over your life right now in the name of Jesus 
And I ask that they would begin to look forward to their life and forward to tomorrow in the name of the Lord. And we bless what you're doing, Lord. Now, Father, thank you for your graciousness. Thank you for your presence. Thank you, Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Merry Christmas, guys. I'm not following that with anything, so bless you guys. We love you. We'll see you next week.